You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. My name is Chris White. If you have any questions for me, don't hesitate to write. You can do so at nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com or just hit the contact button on virtually any of the websites and you will get me. All right, so let's jump right in. First, a few show notes. Uh, just put out a podcast this morning on the Stop Sleep Paralysis podcast feed called Demonic Dreams and a List of Causes of Sleep Paralysis. This is a short 24-minute or so podcast. I'm really excited about the Sleep Paralysis podcast and all the possibilities that it has. I've been getting a lot of feedback from that podcast, and I've got a lot of good topics uh, in the queue for that. So if you want to, you can subscribe to the Chris White Everything feed. It should be on there, uh, or you can subscribe directly to it as well. Um, quick note on that. I actually re-recorded that podcast this morning. I put it out yesterday, but uh, when I recorded it, it was just after a long day of answering uh, a lot of emails and things like that. So I was really drained and really tired. So if you heard it right away, it's probably a lot better than that, the one that's on there now. Um, also, I just put out the Daniel 7 podcast and video. Finally, it's been uh, almost two months probably that I've been working on that project. So that's out there. It's on pretty much any of the feeds that are relevant to that. So check that out. I would recommend if you just listened to the audio of that presentation to take the time to watch the video. The video actually helps you to really understand it more. If you listen to it and you thought, well, I didn't quite get all of that. I'm not sure if I understand where he's coming from. The visual aids, I think, really help to make that understandable. One thing about videos, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the Sabbath project next. I might take just a slight break in going into Daniel 8 and work on this um, Sabbath project, a question of whether Christians need to keep the, the Sabbath in the New Covenant. And I'm going to be working uh, a lot with that. I've already done the research. I just need to really get into the script writing and finally finish it up. But I wanted to ask the question of you guys. Do you think that it would be better if I did more uh, long-term projects, these things that take you know months for me to complete, or would you rather see me just producing a lot of videos out there, you know, just short questions? Um, because it's really one or the other for me. Because I feel like I need to put a lot of effort into the longer videos, but they often can have more impact than the shorter ones can. So, you know, take Ancient Aliens Debunked, for instance. That that has can do things that uh, the shorter videos cannot. So what do you think could be more productive is a question I want to throw out to you there. Finally, on a show note, I want to mention an upcoming interview for subscribers of the Everything feed. Um, I'm going to be posting an interview whenever he posts it from a website called Skeptico and Podcast. And it was a pretty interesting interview. It was a heated interview. And... Uh, and so I'm excited to see how that turns out, and I'll post that on the Chris White interview. It was ultimately uh, about Ancient Aliens Debunked, but we asked maybe one or two questions and talked about Ancient Aliens Debunked for just a second, and then we went into all kinds of stuff that I think people will find entertaining, if not interesting. So stay tuned to the Everything feed for that. Again, I would encourage people to be subscribing to the Everything feed. If you're just subscribed to the Nowhere to Run feed on iTunes, try to move to the Everything feed. I probably will cancel the uh, the other feed. I don't have control over that, and Podomatic is just charging way too much money for it. So I'm, I'm trying to transition to the Everything feed, which is better for you anyway, because you get all the podcasts, five or six podcasts, including the interviews feed, all in one place. Um, and again, you can find that on the main website or on iTunes. So moving on, I wanted to talk a little bit about 2012, December 21st, 2012. It's obviously come and gone. The big joke is that, you know, the end of the world didn't end. And, uh, of course it didn't, but it's kind of a straw man really. Cause a lot of the new age folks out there, they never really claimed that the world was going to end. In fact, you know, very few people actually claimed that, that I know of. I can't even think of like one off the top of my head, and I know a lot of 2012ers, um, almost every one, even if they had sort of a cataclysmic, cataclysmic angle to it, 
were saying it was the new beginning, you know, it was going to transition to the new age and going to all this cool stuff, you know, depending on what they thought was going to happen. But, and I started to, I mentioned this on Facebook that I wanted to do a video compilation of all the crazy things that these new agers uh, had said was going to happen in 2012 uh, and just kind of piece them all together. And it would make just a fantastic video that would really hurt the, uh, the, the sort of guru worship of these guys and uh, kind of get them on record. But uh, and I started to go through the clips and look for audio clips and video clips, but it, it proved a little more difficult than I was thinking. And I didn't spend all that much time on it, but uh, it certainly wasn't something that I could do very quickly because they were really, you know, careful about sound bites of saying this and thus and thus will happen on December 21st, 2012. It's hard to get those very quick uh, things, although there are some of them. David Icke uh, said uh, that there would be no prices right on the television. He know for he knew for certain that there wouldn't be any prices right on the television in 2012. Essentially, trying to say that you know the world would not be operating in such a way that uh, normal television shows would be on the uh, on the television. But I thought what I would do is read a synopsis of some of the wilder views from different people, some of which some of you may know. And I get this actually from one of them himself. His name is uh, uh, Daniel Pinchback. Some of you may know him uh, from his book, 2012 and the Return of Quetzalcoatl. He has been a, a 2012 promoter, though he is himself one that took pride in not going too crazy and in, in what saying what was going to happen. He's you know, in the Enlightenment camp, it's going to be the beginning of a transition of a new age and blah, 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 blah. But um, but anyway, he writes this long blog post about how he's excited we've moved past the date and the general sort of backpedaling that anybody that's capitalized a whole lot in 2012 uh, will will say. But he also had a paragraph here that I think is really interesting. Let me read it. He says, Apparently, a galactic superwave is not engulfing our planet, as Leviolette proposed. We are not confronting immediate cataclysmic earthquakes and volcanic eruptions, as Hancock sensationally predicted in his best-selling Fingerprints of the Gods. That's a guy that I'd like to, you know, maybe do a few debunkings on. He said, we are also not suddenly attaining collective enlightenment, as Kalman uh, Arguez and John Major Jenkins conceived. So I don't know, maybe some of you attained collective enlightenment, but I didn't feel like I did. I might have. Um, our pineal glands are not being instantaneously flooded with DMT as Wilcock concocted. Now I know that didn't happen. I mean, that would have been notable. I think somebody would have pointed that out, but, but maybe a few people's pineal glands did, uh, fill up with DMT on 2012, maybe. Um, uh, let's see. We have not reached the eschaton, or singularity, where time collapses as we construct the final technological object at the end of history and complete the great work of alchemy, as McKenna playfully projected. And this is referring to Terence McKenna's time wave zero prediction that you know all of time ended on December 21st, 2012, which is in itself totally ridiculous. If you haven't seen my video about the debunking of Time Wave Zero, please check that out. I don't know how important it is. I think the fact that nothing happened sort of debunks it on its own. But before 2012, it was important. Um, okay, and then finally, we are not ascending out of our bodies into the astral plane. So... I don't know. I don't feel like people did. I know some people did. Some people ascended to the astral plane because they simply died. But uh, I don't think it was because they were ascending uh, in the New Age concept. So I mentioned that for anybody out there that may want to take that project up. That's sort of a few of the uh, of the notable ones out there from a guy who would know. I mean, this guy's been at all the conferences with all these 2012 guys. He's been a, a part of the books, and he's probably heard nothing but 2012 predictions uh, for the last decade. So he would know. All right, let's move on to a very quick sort of shooting from the hip debunking of uh, John Allegro, the guy who wrote The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross. Uh, this is a guy that... Uh, uh, this was a long time ago. I think the publication of that book was in 1970. 
uh, he's now dead. He basically proposed that uh, Christianity was uh, based on the Sumerian fertility cults, particularly the ingesting of psychedelic mushrooms to have visionary experiences, and that Jesus didn't really ever exist. He was just sort of a... Uh, uh, a creation of much later people uh, to 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 show sort of things about mushrooms and to talk uh, allegorically about mushrooms. So it's a pretty substantial claim. Um, but one of the things about it, and this book is not well received. Mainly, it's a it's a book about linguistics ultimately, and I think that the the linguistic angle goes over the head of most people because he's he's talking about a very scholarly concept. Uh, his proposal is scholarly, but it's not. It was proven to be wrong. Uh, the idea, based entirely on the on his hypothesis that all languages, particularly that of uh, of the the Near East, there uh, were based on Sumerian uh, language. That is, that Sumerian was the root language of all languages. And so, if Sumerian was the root language of all languages, then he could. For example, take the word for mushroom in the Sumerian uh, and 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 say, well, that word mushroom sounds like this. And since all other languages were based on that, when they, you know, this Christian ritual or whatever is really just based on mushrooms because it sounds like the word for mushroom in the Sumerian. And the problem is, is that that's not true. Sumerian is not etymologically connected to any of the languages. I mean, there isn't a Sumerian scholar out there that would tell you that it is. There isn't. It, this, this is so debunked in terms of its linguistic connection, it's not even a possibility that his main premise, his his only hope for this being true, relies on Sumerian being a root language for all languages. The same thing that it all relies on is the same thing that everybody knows isn't true. Allegro wrote at a time when a lot of scholars were trying their hand at uh, Sumerian scholarship. It was sort of a relatively new field at the time, uh, there was a lot of discoveries still being made. It, it's only been very recently with things like the the CAD, the Chicago Assyrian Dictionary, that that all of this stuff has been cataloged meticulously. It's been very, very recently that this stuff has been, um, you know, successfully translated, understood. And at that time in the 70s, it was like the Wild West, you know. And so somebody could come in there with a hypothesis and nobody could really say yay or nay at that point because it would be another, you know, 40 years before anybody even got a handle of what was going on there. So we have dictionaries now from the Sumerians, from the Assyrians. There isn't any question anymore about these etymological connections. We know that Allegro was wrong on his premise that that Sumerian was the root of, you know, certainly not, you know, Greek or, 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 or Hebrew, but let alone, as he said, the entire world, you know, so there is no reason to believe anything else that the guy said because his entire argument based is based on something that is unquestionably wrong. So it's kind of like Jordan Maxwell, if any of you are familiar with his sort of word games, you know, that the sun, S-U-N, rising, is somehow connected to the sun, S-O-N, that is the son of God, even though, of course, the words in the, in the original languages have nothing to do with each other. So the earliest that that could have come up was uh, after English had developed its, its language. So there's a lot of problems, and it's just very Jordan Maxwell-esque after he expands on his initial wrong premise that Sumerian is the root language of everything, and then he proceeds to go Jordan Maxwell on everybody. So the that that part is wrong. The other part that I'd like to to talk about is the that book he brings up this abbey in France, a 14th century mural uh of the Garden of Eden uh event where you have uh the tree, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil depicted as what appears to be a, a mushroom, a psychedelic mushroom. Particularly the Amida Amanita muscaria mushroom. So much uh, much hay is made about the straw man argument that Christians will say this isn't a mushroom, but it certainly is a mushroom. Look at these dots and look how mushroomy it is and whatever. But that's not the argument. I mean, I I'm willing to totally concede that it's a mushroom just for the sake of argument. I mean, I really don't care if it is or not. It has 
absolutely nothing to do with the discovery of the origins of Christianity. Any more than 1,300 years from now, somebody looking at South Park or Family Guy's version of Jesus will tell you uh, about the origins of Christianity. It's, it's a 1,300-year uh, small, you know, old small town church artists depicting of something that is not described in the Bible. I mean, some amount of artistic license would have had to be taken anyway by any artist depicting the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Here is a much simpler explanation for those of you that are super intrigued by this. How about this artist, as many artists are wont to do, probably was uh, taking drugs recreationally anyway? Uh, what if he decided that he was going to depict the knowledge of good and evil tree as a mushroom and sort of joke about it with his friends and give high fives and stuff like that later on? What if, what if that, I mean, wouldn't that be just as good of an explanation as the alternative? Because once you move to the alternative view, when you start to try to make it logically fit in context, the alternative view being, well, this this 14th century abbey in, in, in France actually tells us the secret of Judaism, that it was all not true and it was all based on mushrooms. At the, and at the Garden of Eden, we just simply took some mushrooms. So if this 14th century abbey tells us the secret about what really happened at the origin of humanity, you have to presuppose that either this artist or the guy who commissioned this artist was really a part of some super secret society that had never written anything down uh, and, and no, never really any other indication whatsoever that this was true. And all of a sudden, the truth of reality and the history of all religion shows up 1,400 years later in this uh, church because I guess they decided to let the cat out of the bag on this mural at this time. So it, it, you have to sort of construct a massive, massive backstory to why the origins of Christianity being uh, related to uh, taking some mushrooms shows up uh, at that time in that place. And it's just, you know, Occam's razor there. It's probably the artist just depicted it as a mushroom for whatever reason. You know, maybe he just did it artistically. Maybe he really took some mushrooms. Maybe I'm certain that nobody at the... Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, at the uh, uh, church probably could bust him on it, you know. So anyway, that's that's the thing. And and, and similarly, you know, they'll, they'll show even, that's the oldest they can get. They show modern things like, um, you know, other other mushrooms in, in church stained glass windows and stuff like that. Uh, presume, presumably supposed to be like, well, now here's the truth here. We busted them now. It's all about mushrooms. And it basically goes down to the, to the idea that, uh, that, that, when people like prophets have visions, that's the whole main thing. Hey, prophets, they're saying they have visions. We know that visions happen when you take drugs. Therefore, the prophets took drugs. It it doesn't go any further than that. There's no like indication anywhere in the text that uh, that anything like that happened. And another thing you have to sort of get past somehow is that Judaism was not exactly like a, uh, you know, a, a religion where you could just freely, you know, live and take drugs and, and divine through uh, pharmakia. I mean, the, the, the whole idea in the Greek, pharmakia was the divination of, of spirits through drugs was prohibited by the death penalty. OK, so so what you have to presume is that everybody that's doing this because because the way that they present this is that oh everybody in judaism they were just all on mushrooms they were they were they're presenting a a, a version of judaism that contextually can't exist um that is a whole bunch of people taking shrooms to to have visionary experiences is explicitly forbidden under the penalty of death and some of these you know prophets if you take if you've ever read a prophet in your life and the visions that they had, they were they were not the type of guys that are going to be playing fast and loose with the law of God. So you have to just just go all over the place uh, and just presume things uh, that that certainly aren't true. For example, of course, you have to presume that Jesus didn't exist as a historical person. I mean, none of anything that Allegro said or anybody that 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 thinks highly of Allegro can can work if Jesus existed 
at all as a historical person. You know, take away his claims of divinity or his raising from the dead or performing miracles or all those things. You can, you can take all those away. And if you could just prove that the dude existed, then Allegro is completely wrong. Anyway, I guess that will suffice for my shooting from the hip debunking of uh, John Allegro. And I will transition now into some stuff that I really wanted to talk about. First, though, I wanted to mention some of the things on my Facebook recently. I've been posting a lot of kinetic typography videos. If you don't know what these are, I would encourage you to go to my Facebook and take a look. It's facebook.com slash nowhere to run. And that's with an N, N-O-W-H-E-R-E-T-O-R-U-N. And they're basically short three to five minute videos that somebody takes a sermon clip. They mix it with some music. And they make a really good visually um, stunning video that helps the message really be understood. And they're just really powerful. And I've been trying to find some of the best ones um, in a Christian context and post them on the uh, the Facebook there. I, I just want to encourage any, anybody out there to consider this as a potential ministry to get good at, uh, for example, After Effects is probably one of the primary programs somebody would use to to do kinetic typography. There's probably... All kinds of tutorials out there. I know that somebody actually posted a tutorial on a previous Facebook post when I was inquiring about it that looked like, you know, you just go through this kind of tutorial. I think that it's just a great sort of producer role in a way. I mean, you, you take a really good sermon and you, you edit it down. And so you had to go find the good sermon and you, you know what is good and you edit it and then you put it with good music because you know what good music is. And then you mix that together where the levels are good and you and you put it to a good visually stunning, impressive thing. And, you know, that is that's a talent that that's gathering this thing over here and putting it with this thing over there and using it for the glory of God. And these things can just really do a lot of good. So I encourage anybody interested to go to the Facebook, check out some of the uh, various videos that I've been posting over the last few months and um, I also have them on my YouTube page on my favorites. I've been posting a lot there as well. So if you're not subscribed to my favorite feed on the main YouTube channel. Um, so anyway, I think that it might be a good ministry for somebody. So I just thought I would mention that. Also, I wanted to encourage people about stuff like that on their Facebook pages to to minister to people. You know, you have friends and family members that you probably pray for to be saved all the time um, that are, you know, watching your posts on Facebook. You know, that's that's something that we have an access to their to their room when they're all alone. It's not, you know, you can give them a tract every day that is good and is uh, is 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 thorough and is exactly what you want to say and it's not necessarily directed directly at them but you should think about them every time you post something on your facebook wall and why not use your facebook for that purpose you know I, do, be bold i know sometimes like well i've got certain friends that wouldn't like that just that's don't even think about that that get get over that fear of man the fear of men brings a snare you don't want to be ensnared by your uh, wondering what people will think or whatnot. So anyway, I want to to encourage you about that kind of stuff. I wanted to talk about Philippians 4.8 and some other verses. The idea of being heavenly minded. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I want to suggest to you that this is like a very, very, very big theme in the New Testament. And that the people in the book of Acts and the people in Paul writing, it was like his cons consistent burden. Or, or Peter, as we'll see. It's like he, he was saying, I've got to remind you of this all the time. This is so important that I'm going to make this like the thing that I always remind you about all the time, which is to train your mind to always think on heavenly things. Think about doctrine. Think about good things. Don't think about bad things and that it's hard to do. It's not an automatic thing. Once you're saved, it, it, it doesn't, you just automatically don't renew your mind. It's something that you need to do to remove, to, to renew your mind. Um, anyway, I, I, I'll talk about this stuff in more detail, but let me read first Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. 
If there is any virtue or if there is any anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so Paul here, wrapping up this uh, this letter to the Philippians, has just got done in the previous verses telling them the right way to pray. He, he, he gives them this idea, a uh, new way to look at prayer. And he says, if you do this, then the peace of God will be with you. And now he, he he's teaching them the right way to, to think, the right way to to be how to renew one's mind or what that looks like he tells us that if you do this then the god of peace will be with you it's one of the many names of god the god of peace this idea also is reiterated in in the book of romans where he says for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So in his admonitions to renew your mind and, and to take a an active role in what you're thinking about and, and changing what you're thinking about, to think about heavenly things, to think about godly and good things, he says the result, the payoff here is peace. So I would suggest to you and we'll be suggesting to you that this is also on the short term and the long term. This can help you if you are somebody who is constantly running bad things in your mind. You, you, you find yourself sort of ruminating about some wrong that's happened to you and you know that you uh, shouldn't. You know that you don't want to, but you can't kind of break free of that cycle of, of constantly thinking about it or whatever that is in your life. If there's in that short term context, you can break free of that and have peace by changing what you're thinking about, positively thinking, not just on good things and flowers and mountains and stuff like that, but on God, on doctrine, on, you know, go over something that you, you know, have learned from the Bible. The, I, I sometimes think about the gospel. I, I sort of think about the fact that the, that the wrath of God for my sins w- was satisfied uh, by Jesus Christ and that, 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 that act, you know, gave me the righteousness of Christ, you know, that I'm viewed by God um, as if I had lived Christ's life. That's my boast in heaven. I don't have a boast. I, I boast only in that he is the one who fulfilled the law, not myself. And that's why I can be so sure of my rightness uh, before God, because it isn't based on me. I think of uh, small things. Uh, we're, we're going to see that that many of the times that the admonitions in Scripture to think on heavenly things, they, they tell us to think about for example, the fact that our citizenship isn't here, that, that we have so much in heaven that uh, it, it talks about our blessed hope being the fact that we're getting out of here. The resurrection, not just the rapture, but a new glorified body, a total uh, a new life. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what God has in store for those that love him. This is more than just uh, a doctrine. This is something that the Bible says Make sure you are actively thinking about these things. For lack, for for just a shorthand, let's just say theology. Just think on theology, um, and in in the short term to sort of break that ruminating cycle. But this is more than just a a a tip on how to to stop ruminating on things. Uh, it's also uh, a, a way of life. I'm going to read a few more verses here. Um, this is from. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Uh, Colossians 3, we read, I'll read it in its fullness here. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We have a whole bunch of stuff in heaven, according to the Bible. Uh, our Father is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9. Our Savior is in heaven, Hebrews nine twenty four. It says our home is in heaven, John fourteen two through 4 Our name is in heaven, Luke ten twenty. Our life is is in heaven Colossians 3 1 through 3 our heart is in heaven Matthew 6 19 through 21 our inheritance is in heaven uh 1 Peter 1 3 through 5 
and our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. So we have uh, everything that we have as Christians. Our entire identity as Christians is not in the world. And I want to suggest to you that it's this is a big deal in the Bible. And the thread is actually what sort of makes things like the book of Acts make sense. Um, you know, Paul, Paul wrote all the time to churches trying to fix problems. And he would deal with, for example, the Corinthian church was wondering, hey, Paul, should we... Um, should we be suing each other? I mean, should we sue our, our brothers in Christ or not? And Paul, for example, he 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 answers this question by by presuming that they were heavenly minded. He says to them, "Don't you know that you guys are going to judge angels? In fact, the entire world. So if you can judge angels in the entire world, don't don't you think it would be easy for you to to judge among yourselves in this small matter?" He he basically says, you guys should already be aware of your future destiny. He's talking about something that is a, a, an eschatological event that's not going to happen, you know, for, for a while. And he's saying he's saying you guys should have been thinking about that. Um, you know, the kingdom of God is a really interesting thing to study. I've, I've actually had a opportunity recently with this Daniel study to really get into what the kingdom of God is. And it's really like the kingdom that God makes and instituted uh, back in Jesus's the first part of his ministry there. And he, it's a small thing. It grows bigger over time, but it's, it's citizens um, that will inherit a kingdom that will, that is juxtaposed through scripture with all the other kingdoms. Uh, it's different. It's, it's a kingdom w com comprised of citizens who choose to be there and it is, uh, they will inherit everything, you know, in an eschatological, uh, very real sense. But it's both spiritual, it's in us, and it's also a physical reality. And the the, the Bible sort of encourages us to be mindful of, of these kinds of things uh, as a result. And I think that the whole point is, is that by doing so, we're actually going to be a, a whole lot more effective. You know, one great quote um, is this. It says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You know, if you really understood the seriousness, uh, the epicness of this all, this whole thing, if you could see even a, for a brief moment the spiritual reality of the world or uh, you know, understand the the things that are at stake. Um, understand what God is doing in His great plan. You know, you are just a bit player in something that will that has been going on before you got here and will continue to go on after after you leave. And if we could get a hold of that, we would be much more like these people in Acts who, when they were beaten, uh, you know, I'm talking of, of Peter, after they left the temple there in the book of Acts and they were beaten and they, they glorified God for, for being accounted worthy to, to be beaten for the name of Christ. Or the Ananias and Sapphira incident. You know, that, the early church there, they were like selling everything that they had to like put money apparently for missions and, and, and all the stuff that, that they needed. And of course, you know, at that time they were uh, the beginning of the church and the, they were all in, you know, this was a very, very important thing. And I think that we would be less likely to be more reserved about what we would post on Facebook and in simple things like that as it translates into our daily life. Uh, I'm not saying that everybody needs to be in the ministry or anything, but I'm just saying that you need to uh, be focused on not just in the short term, but in the long term. And the, the renewing of your mind is actually something that is not automatic, but that requires diligence. Let me read Second Peter 1, uh, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 13. It says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, he's going to continue here, but I want to point out, he says, diligence, giving all diligence. So this is something that is not automatic. And we're going to see here, Peter thinks this is so important that he's going to need to remind them of this over and over. He says, I've got to remind you of this all the time. To give all diligence and add to your faith 
virtue to virtue knowledge. He's going to continue adding a few more words here, words that actually appear in that same Philippians verse, you know, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are noble, just. So it's kind of parallel to what Paul is saying here in this in this idea of uh, of, of how to think. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that this is something that we add to our faith. Our faith is there, but as, as Peter's going to say, sometimes even though your sins are cleansed, you can forget that you're supposed to be doing this. So he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. It says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, there's that word again, to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. So, two things. He again reminds them that some people forget to do this, even though they are saved. You forgot that you have been uh, a cleansed of your sins. You're living a life that is just coasting and you're not progressing in in these these godly things, these these gifts of the Spirit, these things that we find in Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, compassion, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, self-control. These are things that we should be growing in. And unless we are, as, as Peter says, being diligent here, and as he says that he needs to stir them up by reminding them, then it's not happening in your life. So what does that mean? How does that even look in your life? Well, as I mentioned before, if you have anything bad going on uh, in your life that you're constantly thinking about, then that's one thing to stop that cycle of it. But it's also also important to be heavenly minded in general. That is to and one of the ways that you can do that is to begin to open up a dialogue with God on a pretty regular basis. If you find yourself in the car, you know, driving somewhere, driving to work, pray about something. And 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 I just in a way that is conversational with God, talk to God about the things that you need. You know you need some stuff. I mean, you know that you're in trouble and that there are things that you need to see him work in in order for things to work out in your life. There's no shortage of uh, issues that you need to go to him about. He wants to hear from you. I mean, as I've said many times, the prayer is described as a, a, a sweet incense to him. He loves to hear from us, as, as I'm sure anybody that's a parent out there knows that it's great to hear from your children, even if it's just every once in a while. And I think that for us, it shouldn't be every once in a while. That's one way to be heavenly minded. But of course, to to in the things that you ingest, you're just, you know, you are what you eat. And if you eat a whole bunch of, you know, television stuff, that stuff is is just terrible. You might not think, oh, well, look, I can handle that. I mean, it's just this thing. I know I, I don't believe in the stuff that they're saying there or whatever, but you can't you can't undo the stuff that that's doing to you and, and, and desensitizing you to. You, sh- you should be you should be offended by television and you should back off of it enough to where you can get offended by it because it's certainly worthy of uh, it's certainly offensive. And if you are a person who doesn't watch TV and you watch it every now and again, uh, you, you, you realize that it's like, this is just getting just hardcore. I mean, it's terrible in every aspect and the doctrine it's teaching and the things that it's showing. It, it, it's just consistent. But but it, I don't want to preach to you about, you know, those kinds of things. But but what you ingest needs to be, as it says there, true and noble, just, pure lovely, things of good report, anything with virtue, anything that's praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. You know, that idea of meditate is, is to to think logically about. Uh, I think the, the Greek word is like logismos or something like that. To, to, to really think in, in a rational, logical way. Not to stir up emotions about 
things that are true or, or lovely, but to consider them. Uh, and, you know, if you look up this word true uh, in the Bible, it's it's oftentimes referred to in the vast majority in of the New Testament referred to as either uh, Jesus Christ himself or a reference to God as a, as a sort of an ultimate truth. And that's certainly one way to look at this. I think that some of these things here don't necessarily have to be biblical in nature. They, as it says here, things of good report. If there's anything of virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, you know. Uh, if you find yourself meditating on things that are not noble or praiseworthy or anything, I mean, how many times do we meditate on crime shows and dead bodies everywhere and, and, and just try to renew your mind? And, and that can come in the form of what you put into it or what you... Uh, what you bring out of it. You know, the Lord said that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him. He says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's always a good indication of what is in your heart. What are you speaking? It, 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 are you are you talking about heavenly things? Uh, it's a good barometer of where you're at. What What is it that you want to talk about all the time? What is it that is on your mind? And that's an indication that, uh, you know, that's the stuff... That, that you're really into. You might say you're into one thing or another, but, but that's where you're really at. And I, I'm suggesting to you here that you can change that and that you should change that. And that the that everybody in the Bible is that person. In Acts, in, if certainly the apostles are encouraging everybody to be this way, people that are heavenly minded. Um, one conclusion of a person that wrote on this uh, in a blog said um, that that doing this, being heavenly minded, thinking on on either you know doctrine or seeing somebody in a biblical way, you know you see somebody that's that's broken, that's that's mean and, and stuff, and you look at them not in the way that the world looks at them, but in the way that the Bible says of them that they are lost, that they are to be pitied, that they are in danger. It says here in this uh, one post that that this makes it easier to love the person who is unlovely, makes it easier to be patient with the people who do not listen. It makes us less anxious about the things that trouble uh, you know, us, and th certainly things that trouble non-believers. The emphasis on the next world frees me from the burdens, expectations, and labels of this world. As we learn to keep our eyes focused on the next world, it enables us to effectively be the hands and feet of Christ in this world. You know, Christ once told the parable of the wicked young ruler, excuse me, the wicked ruler, unjust ruler, I think somehow it's sometimes called, not young. But this is a guy who, you know, he, he knew he was about to lose his job, so he went and made some deals with people about money uh, regarding his employer, and he basically set him up for a good, uh, his next job, basically. You know, and if you look at it from the outside, it's like, that guy really was unjust. He was sort of doing his... Uh, his his master wrong a little bit in the way that he was uh, de dealing with the money. And you can go into the details of that. Technically, he wasn't doing anything wrong. But let's just say for the sake of argument that he was. The point of the parable, which Jesus clearly says, hey, be like that guy. Be shrewd with the way that he was dealing with uh, those things in preparation for the next um, life, basically. And in this regard, Jesus was talking about money. You, you are spending your money for the kingdom of God and for heavenly things. Use your money for those things in that example. You know, and, and I'm often reminded of the so-called Bema seat judgment where, you know, you're standing there as a Christian. You, you, we will not enter judgment. It says that explicitly. We're not going to be in the great white throne judgment. Uh, thank God um, that we aren't. But we will go to something called the Bema Seat Judgment. I think it probably is happening sometime right at the resurrection, in which we are all the things that we did here in this life that were basically, as it says there, wood, hay, and stubble, they're all going to get tried by fire. Everything, all our works, all the stuff that we did, did it have any impact on what God was doing, what he was trying to do in you, what the, the talents that he wanted of yours that he wanted to use all that stuff and it's just going to be tried by fire your works are and whatever's left because uh, the wood hay and stubble are going away and those things that were silver and gold 
will be the only things that you'll take with you in this next world that we're supposed to take, you know, think so highly of. You know, I don't know what these rewards are or what, what, what good rewards will do us in heaven. I have no concept of that. But I do hang my hat on that idea that, you know, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has comprehended what God has in store for those that love us, those that love him. And, you know, I also want to say about that, that some of us sort of wonder, well, I want to do something for the Lord. I do want to be, uh, you know, I want to be uh, purposeful. I mean, we all want to have purpose. And we are waiting for and have been waiting our whole life for God to write it in the sky and say, your uh, your thing is this. Begin to do this and go to this school and do whatever. But you're waiting for a word from God about a specific thing that you should do. And all the while you have a book in front of you that's already told you what to do. And if you're faithful with the the instructions that you already have, he's going to open the doors for the rest. You you know what they are. Make disciples of all men. Um, That's pretty much it. We know that certain people have different gifts. You have certainly different gifts that you can apply and think logically about. Well, if I use that this way, you might not be a person that you're like me. You're an introvert. You don't really want to go and and hand out tracks or or stuff with people. But maybe you can do other stuff. Maybe you can do, like I said, the, the thing about the after effects and the kinetic typography. Maybe you can help that person on Facebook or send them a, a message saying, hey, look, I saw that uh, you, you were talking about suicide or, or whatnot. Do you want to talk? Or maybe you can engage with that person and not necessarily in a fighting way. Facebook fights are so unfruitful. Just do it in a private message. That way there's no showing off, please. Um, and anyway, so so whatever it is, be faithful with the little things. He'll prune you to uh, with more, you know, be faithful with what you got. He'll give you more to, to do. That's how you start. And, uh, and, uh, it will, it will come to pass that thing that you want to do. You want to have purpose. You have the tools to be purposeful, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, you have a purpose. And I would just say, you know, already the, the little things, just do those little things and be faithful with the little things. All right. I guess that's it. I'm going to close out by playing this uh this cool little Trip Lee video. It's a a verse by verse expository hip hop as one person said on the comments about the book of Philippians. I think it's really cool and I'll play that and I will see you on the other side of that. Yeah. 116 13 letters. What we gonna do right now is take a brief look at the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. Take a look at what he said to him and how we can apply it to our own lives. Let's get it. Yes, yes, yes. Press listen to this exposition. Paul wrote the Philippians, some lessons for living written in him, but it's real good text for Christians. Read it closely. Hope we can catch the vision. Chapter one, he tells him he's blessed to get him. Cold laboring with him to serve the best who's risen. And he's confident the Lord will perfect in Christians when he started and hard to be corrected in him. Listen, he was in prison now, maybe never getting there. But all he could think about was the gospel getting there. Someone's even preaching Christ from selfish motives, coming in power. But now he shrugged the shoulders His focus was Christ, the Messiah made And for him to live as Christ and to die was gain Yeah, he was hard pressed for to remain in the flesh It was more necessary so they faith would progress Yes, he wanted him to strive together for the gospel In one spirit, one mind, listen to the apostles Maintain the same love, uplift your brothers Don't just look out for yourself but for the interests of others Oh, our life is nothing but Christ is all So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call Our life is nothing but Christ is all So conduct yourselves worthy Worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Chapter 2, let's examine 5 through 11. The blessed Lamb who resided in the heavens said, Forget the wealth of him, feed himself. He came as a man and he died for the brethren. Ultimate obedience, he died on the cross. And through his humility, Christ was exalted. Glory to the Father, now we should have that same attitude. To what Christ Jesus had, 
Meditating on the verse 12, work out your salvation. The Father works in us in this process of saving. Avoid dispute and prove yourself blameless. Children of God in a perverse generation. Cling to the Bible, humility is vital. We see it in the lives of Paul and his disciples. Serving them like a father, some fellow soldiers. Let us rejoice, united, rep Jehovah. Yeah. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous yes. call. Chapter 3. Rejoice in the Lord we serve. Sir. Forget about the flesh, we nothing more than dirt. No. Man, if anyone can brag about their status, it was power, but to him, it was trash, and he counted it as loss. For the sake of Christ, cause he gave us life. Not through anything we did, but through faith in Christ. Yeah, we righteous in the eyes of the Lord, this blessing. Give all to accepting his resurrection. Brethren, I don't claim to have attained perfections. What he said, but was reaching to a lies ahead. And encourage the Philippians to model what he said. Not to walk in the flesh, cause that walk is dead. When we citizens of heaven who eagerly wait for the one that we rest in, Jesus our Savior. That's who the Lord is, and he will surely transform our bodies in future glory. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Our life is nothing but Christ is out. So conduct yourselves worthy of his righteous call. Chapter 4, he closes encouraging with words. And unity and harmony for those within the church. Rejoice in the Lord, bro. Our hopes in him first. And our thanks and our problems be known to him first. Embrace the peace of God, you can bet on that. And whatever is good, let your mind dwell on that. Then he thanked them again for their gifts and concern. But no matter what, to be content, he had learned. Plus, yeah. he was sure that he could do our things. Thanks. Through him who gave strength, they could do our things. Christ. And he told them they did well, sharing through our pain. And made sure they knew he wasn't trying to get more change. Gotta supply all they needs, he hoped they might see this. According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, the truth of Philippians, I hope it hits you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Hope you like what you heard with me rapping these verses. Don't get it twisted, we just scratching the surface. There's more to be learned than this rapper saying So read it, live it, learn it like the back of your hand Yeah, Our life is nothing but Christ is out So conduct yourselves worthy of this righteous call Our life is nothing but Christ is out So conduct yourselves worthy of this righteous call Our life is nothing but Christ is out So conduct yourselves worthy of this righteous call Our life is nothing but Christ is out So conduct yourselves worthy of this righteous call All right, that is such a, a cool song, and I, I hope you check it out on YouTube. The typography video is really cool of that. Again, you can also see all the typography videos at my Facebook page, facebook.com slash nowhere to run. Also remember the Sleep Paralysis podcast, Daniel 7, the podcast and video is out, and the Skeptico interview, which should be out, I hope, uh, pretty soon. So stay tuned to the Everything feed for all of those. Talked about John Allegro 2012 typography and... Philippians. I hope you all enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is Chris White. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to write. My email address is chris at chriswhiteministries.com. For those of you that are getting a lot out of these audios or videos, consider supporting the show in one of two ways. The first is financially through a donation. This is a full-time ministry, so believe me when I tell you, it really does help keep the wheels turning over here. I literally couldn't do this without you. There's a PayPal button at virtually any one of my websites, like chriswhiteministries.com. The second way that you can support this show is through a five-star rating and or comment on iTunes. iTunes considers that a very important part of their rating system, and it would really help me out a lot. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll see you next time.